Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 497. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Today's show is a little belter. It is just one story, but what a story. Man, The Ship Whisperer by Julie Novakova. Before the, before the story comes up, don't forget, if you are in Helsinki... Worldcon, Jeremy is over there now. He is doing a couple of panels and please pop over there and see him if you listen to this show, you know, and you're, you're kind of still in that environment. Go and say hello to Jeremy. Don't forget as well, this show and Tales to Terrify, Farfetch Fables kind of relies on your Patreon donations. Please support. A big thank you for people that's come over. In the last couple of weeks there, when I've been kind of doing this kind of rally cry to, to help out, like I say, the adverts are kind of dropping off a little bit. So I was kind of relying on them to kind of, you know, look after everything and keep everything sweet. And they're kind of at the moment dropping off. So please support Tales to Terrify and bring you stories like this one that's coming up, man. Just to get away, leave this world and just kind of go into a nice place where this, like you say, this story can, can take you and leave the kind of worries and troubles behind. That's all we want. You know what I mean? That's what I kind of want. And that's why I do the show to kind of help people just escape from day-to-day reality because sometimes day-to-day reality is just needs a little kind of shove to the side so we can kind of just enjoy ourselves. This story, The Ship Whisperer by Julie Novakova, originally published in Asimov's. Julie is a Czech author and translator of science fiction, fantasy and detective stories. She has published short fiction in Clark's World, Asimov, Fantasy Scroll, Persistent Visions and other magazines and anthologies. Her work in Czech includes seven novels, one anthology and over 30 short stories and novelettes. Some of her work has been translated into Chinese, Romanian and Estonian. She has received the Encouragement Award for European Science Fiction and Fantasy Society in 2013 and won the Ornautilus Award, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is the Czech equivalent of the Hugos. Three times! (laughs) Julie, wow. She is... An evolutionary biologist by study takes a keen interest in planetary science and engages in science out- outreach. She's currently working on her first novel in English. Get that done, Julie. Get that done. I will certainly get a copy. And there's a little Twitter handle there as well if you want to kind of follow Julie. 
This story is narrated by Juliana Erickson. Imagine herself as the heroine of all her favourite stories. Juliana Erickson has always enjoyed exploring new and fantastic worlds. Off the pages, she has been explored much more of our world, even calling Hawaii and Italy her other homes. Between adventures and workouts at the kickboxing gym... She likes watching anything with dinosaurs, Vikings or aliens. Juliana's mild-mannered older ego is an instructional designer living in Solcal with her husband and their art collection. And again, there's a, there's a website for Juliana at vaultandveil.com. So, the Starship Sofa is very proud to present. The Ship Whisperer by Julie Novakova. Even in these sophisticated times, it's a common enough superstition that breaking a mirror brings you seven years of bad luck. Nonetheless, nowhere it says what happens if you start with a broken mirror and then glue the pieces back together. I guess I'll have to invent some story to it. Or as it is, I might tell you my own story, the story of a broken mirror. I might start 34 subjective years ago, the moment I was conceived, broken already. Or I might lead you straight here staring into the darkness and pondering on its meaning. But this is no regular darkness. In infrared, it glows just somewhat more than the background. You might mistake it for an extremely cold and dim brown dwarf. A measurement of its mass, gravitational pull, and composition would result in an entirely different conclusion that does not fit neatly in an orderly universe. What you find so difficult to describe is a black dwarf, a remnant of a long-gone star, so old that nature forbids its existence. Yet all the evidence is here. The impossibility exists. The measurements were repeated countless times, all leading to the same answer in the end. However, you're observing this outrageous object from a distance of several light years. You desperately want to study it up close. That's where I come into the story, along with Giordano Bruno and four other long-dead famous ponderers of the cosmic perspective. Hard to spot, isn't it? I flinched and turned abruptly in the zero-G. Not only had the visitor disturbed me gazing out, he had also interrupted a soundless conversation going on in my head. It was Colonel Torres himself. Who else can make such an innocent remark sound like an accusation? I wasn't trying to see it. He snorted. You're lying. Everyone wants to see it with their own eyes, even if they know they'll see nothing. Torres was right. I had been trying to locate the object visually, However, with our current distance, its angular diameter would be less than two arc minutes, a lot for any luminous or illuminated object to be visible at first sight without any effort, very little if the thing you're trying to see is pitch black. We had crossed nearly five light years for a thing we cannot even see. There, I said, a star should be visible between those two. Ross 1015b must be in line of sight and you can notice the slight bent light around it. Colonel frowned. The ship told you right now, didn't she? I didn't deny it. I waited for him to state the reason why he came. His face gave away nothing, even though I was good at noticing signs of emotions. He was holding himself carefully in front of me. We've got a problem with one of the shuttles. Sort it out, Torres said with his usual directness. I followed him through the main hub, a rotating section. Adjusting for weight felt strange. I had always felt home in the zero-G, unlike most people. But I guess that's the smallest of my quirks. 
There was an unusual buzz in the corridors. It seemed as if everyone who had already been awake suddenly had to go somewhere. Mostly military crew. I didn't see many scientists here. And Torres had mentioned a shuttle, even though no launch was on the schedule. I was supposed to know what was going on. Giordano Bruno was definitely supposed to know. What is this about? Classified information, replied the ship. It sounded apologetic in my head. I tried recent findings, but there was nothing accessible to me that would result in a shuttle launch. Hopefully Torres would provide an explanation once we got to the shuttle. Pleasant zero-G again. The docking section by Giordano Bruno's spine. Even more commotion here. The nearest one, Torres said. It responds to nav adjustments too slowly. Everything else seems to be working just fine. Fix it. As if it was that easy. Just up to me. I strapped myself into the cockpit, whispered a brief apology to Giordano, and suppressed my link with the ship. Then I reached for Nicholas Copernicus's cable. I felt the presence of an alien mind as soon as the connector touched my interface. It let me ping it, get closer, see, hear, taste, smell, and touch its centers. It seemed awfully small and simple compared to the vast web of Giordano Bruno's mind. The shuttle's quantum computers were less powerful than the ship's by orders of magnitude. If Bruno was a human, Copernicus, Kepler, Brahe, and Galileo might be lizards. The idea was to name this mission's vessels after famous astronomers. Of course, the starship ended up named after the only one of them who technically wasn't an astronomer. There. A minor glitch. Nevertheless, interfering with the ship's operation. The procedure was clear. Nudge the mind. Let it find and examine it. Insert a solution into its input. Wait until it repairs itself. Two unsuccessful attempts. Then it finally let me guide it to the right problem and solve it. Sniffing. Closing in. Copernicus was suddenly more aware of my presence, eager to explore the strange other mind. I severed the link before giving it a chance. I emerged back from the shuttle. Ready. Everything should be operational now. Colonel Torres nodded, expressionless. Nothing else. As if he expected me to go away now. I had no intention of doing that. Now that I've repaired it, may I know why you need the shuttle? Why do you need its quantum computer online when I'm the only controller awake? I assure you, the shuttles can fly on regular computers as well. You may not, Torres replied shortly. You're released, he added when I didn't move. I hesitated. Torres finally lost his patience. Will you get out of the fucking way? For God's sake, you ship whisperers are a bunch of weirdos. One awake at a time is more than enough, I say. No wonder you talk to ships if you fail to comprehend a human conversation. I left without another word. Torres was wrong. I didn't choose this job because I was bad with people. I chose it exactly because of the opposite. Sometimes I was too good at understanding people. I wanted to provoke him, to see how angry my disobedience would make him, and it was certainly much more than I'd expected if this was some routine thing, despite his dislike of me. Something big was going on. We were all a part of something bigger than a human mind can grasp from the moment telescopes at the edge of the Beta Coma Berenice system, our home for the last two centuries, noticed a slight discrepancy in movement of a nearby red dwarf, Ross 1015. The star was so dull that no one bothered to waste observation time on it before we sent a set of large telescopes by the outer belt to monitor all nearby stars. 
The authorities were paranoid. The Kara colony threat seemed only an inch away, even though there was no evidence of them sending out any ships. Better safe than sorry. And that's how they discovered a massive, black, cold object pulling on Ross 1015. The Doppler shift was so large that the unseen thing had to be another star. Finally, they detected Ross 1015b on an eccentric orbit around the ordinary red dwarf nearing the perihelion at around 400 astronomical units. If they hadn't been lucky enough to be in the line of sight to see the transit, they might still be looking for half a century. Giordano Bruno was a fast ship by the standards of interstellar travel, which meant the average speed was just about 0.1c, almost no time dilation to speak of. We had slept for more than 40 years, and most of the crew was still sleeping, and wouldn't be woken up if all went well. We were supposed to examine the black dwarf, the strange phenomenon that shouldn't exist at all in our universe until it was trillions of years older. Only the core military crew and most of the scientists were awake now. Barely 200 people from 600 sleepers. And then there was me, the only one who grew older during the voyage, spending more than a year in total awake. Giordano woke me up several times when there was some suspected problem. Or, I had a suspicion, when the ship merely felt too alone. There was never any intention to make quantum computers sentient. Strong AI, so long ago discarded by computer scientists, emerged in the quantum world and we had to deal with it, especially in starships, where quantum computing proved most valuable. It took ages to establish a stable way of controlling them. Most people contended themselves with simple interfaces for commands of every use. Those able to communicate directly, needless for most of the time, but indispensable if anything went really wrong, were very few. Not that I minded. Ships were so much more pleasant to talk to than people. Alien. Barely comprehensible. Honest. Pure. Loyal. Because of Giordano's loyalty to Colonel's orders about confidentiality, I now had to talk to people. At this time, the canteen was empty except for one woman, sitting by a plate of long, cold meal, absorbed in figures and numbers flickering on her portable screen. Lakshmi Ranganathan was a rare exception, a scientist without brain implants enabling her access to information without such old-fashioned methods. Hardly anyone with this kind of disability made it into big science. Ranganathan was the only such person aboard. She was insanely good, and she was also too remote from ordinary human matters to ignore the notion of confidentiality, simply because she had no grasp of what it meant. In all other aspects, she was as close to a ship's mind as a human can get. I liked her. Dr. Ranganathan, I spoke softly. She didn't seem to notice me. I spoke louder. No response. I sat opposite her. She must have glimpsed a movement because she flinched and looked around with a panicky expression. I'm sorry to have startled you. You didn't seem to hear me before. Don't be afraid. We're friends. You do remember me, don't you? You're Icarus Kali, she said. I smiled. Yes, that's me. I was just wondering how you're doing. That's what friends do. Have you recently learned anything interesting? What kind of things? Something unexpected about the black dwarf. A weird transmission, a new object. Yes, she interrupted me. 
a new object. A barren dwarf planet orbiting Ross 1015 was discovered yesterday. Semi-major axis is likely around 20 AU, negligible eccentricity, diameter. She started reciting the parameters from her phenomenal memory. A planet. And Taurus was probably sending some landing force there, not leaving the place just to automated probes. I was supposed to know. I was as close to a pilot as one could get on a ship that needs no pilots, damn it. Torres might have been the commander, but I was the ship controller, or a ship whisperer, as others often call the likes of me. I should be informed about anything that might influence the ship somehow, about every tiny detail of this mission in an ideal case. I suspected that the colonel didn't conceal this information from me so that I wouldn't find out. He must have known I'd sooner or later dig it out somehow. He concealed it just on principle. To Francesco Torres, I was also very nearly the enemy. Staring into the darkness, I imagined how the Black Dwarf could have come to exist. I heard the scientists talk about alternate universes, either old or with slightly different constants, in means to come through the barrier separating them, capsules of space with accelerated passage of time, Dyson spheres with monstrous quantities of coolant gas flowing through. I personally most liked the one option every expert discarded as impossible, local differences in thermodynamics. The cooling of a white dwarf is a purely thermodynamic process, common dissipation of heat, no need to rewrite what we already know about stellar evolution. But if the laws of thermodynamics weren't universal, imagine the consequences. What if Poincaré cycles could manifest locally and had a much shorter period than the usual many orders of magnitude more than the age of our universe? Impossible. But I loved this theory anyway. Even after 11 months of being here, the questions never ceased. All of them made human quarrels seem so little and unimportant. What is our petty animosity in face of a mystery like this? What are we if what we observe is not a natural phenomenon, but a work of another civilization, advanced beyond our capabilities of comprehension. However, I was not so naive to think that all of us viewed the Black Dwarf with the same joy, awe, and fascination. Take Ranganathan. For all her genius, she is without imagination. She can follow protocols she understands by nature. Astrophysics comes to her as easy as breathing. She sees a problem to solve. She has no idea what this discovery means for the human race. It's just another equation to her. But that is still a good option. She's a good person, even if she's very detached by most human standards. And then there's Torres. He sees a potential weapon, nothing else. He's got imagination, just enough to imagine encapsulating the Kara system and accelerating time to render its civilization to dust in a matter of nanoseconds in our time frame, or to imagine sending it into an uninhabitable universe if he could. Giordano Bruno had a nightmare. It seized me when I walked to the bathroom. Sharp pain exploded in my temples. I could barely grasp the door handle to support myself before black spots filled my field of view and I collapsed on the floor. Stop it, I cried. Stop it. You'll kill me. I collected myself enough to reach to Giordano and try to soothe her. It didn't help. The pain lasted and spread into my whole body. I could taste bitterness on my tongue, smell something so foul I felt the urge to vomit, hear a deafening cacophony, 
perceive a sensation of sharp needles jabbing into my skin. Only my visual input wasn't unbearable, an overwhelming darkness. I managed to touch Giordano's main sensory system and try to locate the pathway of the nightmare. In humans, dreams originate in the brainstem, spreading to the limbic system and the cortex. Ships don't sleep, but they can dream nonetheless, if a process completely separate from anything biological can be called dreaming. It usually comes from the memory banks and finds a way through the sensory system into the computer's consciousness. I found it, a large data flow going right through the system, enticing all kinds of strange responses. Ships don't feel pain, but that doesn't mean that certain data aren't just too uncomfortable. Regardless of my pain, I brought myself to track the flow down to its source. It wasn't any of the memory banks. It seemed like a real signal, an outside signal. Is something trying to entangle with the ship? Horror filled me. I started frantically searching for some means to sever it. As if from a large distance, I heard discernible screaming through the cacophony. It took me a few seconds to realize that it was me. The pain. The sounds. And then it suddenly stopped. All the horrible sensations faded away. My sight gradually came back. My body was aching, but seemed to be working normally. I tried to get up slowly and found myself lying in a puddle of urine. At least I didn't vomit. I heard the worried voice of Giordano Bruno in my head. Are you all right? I was. At least I thought so. A more important question was, was the ship all right? She claimed to be. She let me explore her mind carefully. I found nothing abnormal this time and caressed the kind ship with relief. The signal had stopped, unsuccessful in whatever it had been trying to accomplish. I bet no one but me noticed anything. Even if it did something, the ship had numerous fail-safes. It would be on the edge of impossible to damage it to the point that we could no longer survive. Being here because of an impossible object, this notion didn't give me much peace. I should have reported the strange signal to Colonel Torres immediately, but I felt too drained and weak. I took a long bath, using up my water rations weeks ahead. After I climbed out and got into clean clothes, I went to the observation deck. The zero-G environment was like a healing balsam to my body, and the darkness outside to my mind. I certainly didn't expect Torres, who should have had much more important things to do and places to attend, to show up there a couple minutes later. Icarus, you look ill, he remarked. He knew. I saw my reflection in the thick glass, color draining from my cheeks, the stiffness of my posture. Torres knew what happened to Giordano, I was sure of it. I was rarely wrong about people. So he knew I breached protocol when I hadn't told him right away. For a moment, we were staring at each other in silence. I realized he was not going to speak first. What had just happened? I asked. What do you mean? I lost my temper. Don't pretend you don't know. You let something happen to the ship. His innocent expression broke. You didn't report anything. Go to hell with your reports. You knew about it. It could have killed me. Torres's silence was more than eloquent. Was that your intention? I spoke quietly. No. What then? That is classified. Bullshit. You threatened the whole ship. All of us. I have the right to know. Colonel's eyes narrowed. You think you can tell me what your rights are, you little piece of scum? 
If the ship didn't need you, I wouldn't have you aboard at all. You're an abomination. There it was, finally said aloud, what he thought of me all along, an abomination. Torres wasn't religious, but this word came to him easily when thinking about the likes of me. I could read his disgust and anger easily from his face and posture, even though he immediately regained control of himself again. I was good at putting myself in the place of other people. An abomination, yes. A person glued together from broken pieces, born with dysfunction of mirror neurons, gradually transformed into an almost ordinary human by applying just a little of neuronal growth factors, an artificial potentiation of selected pathways. It worked well, a bit too well. I had always wished I empathized with other people far less. I didn't like what I saw in them. And those like Torres didn't like what they saw in me. By their standards, I was too close to the enemies, to the Kara system, by far the nearest space colony to ours, from where we had originally come to the Beta Come Berenices, and where afterwards, people, in the fashion of Earth, started doing things to their neural circuits that Torres couldn't even imagine. To that dangerous place where you could have any animal's sensory abilities, biologically enhance certain types of memory, or something completely new and different, Unlike us, they were ever-changing, fluid, no stable identities to speak of. No wonder we feared their coming so much. We didn't stand a chance. If I was in a better mood, I'd laugh at Torres's approach. I couldn't have been farther from those long-ago human beings from our former cradle. I was rigid, trapped in the chains of my empathy, induced, untypical, but stable. I don't care what you think about me, I said finally. But don't ever do anything like this to the ship. Don't you even dare. As I expected, Torres didn't follow me out of the observation deck. He found out what he wanted. Whatever he was trying, it worked. And in spite of what I said, he was definitely going to try again. You should go to the canteen, the ship told me the next morning. I sensed the urge in her words, but remained reluctant. Why? I don't want to see anyone. Go, she insisted. It is important. Sit next to your friend Lakshmi. Ask about her progress. A chill went through my veins. Giordano Bruno more or less ignored the existence of other people in our conversations before. She took orders from them, had sets of priorities that sometimes exceeded those from me, but she never spoke about them with me. Was it something Torres had done? Or was I just becoming paranoid? I went there. About two dozen people were eating their breakfast, but Lakshmi was sitting alone. This time, she noticed when I spoke to her. I realized I didn't really talk to her since she had told me about the planet's discovery months ago. However, she didn't seem offended by my lack of interest in the meantime. Even if Ranganathan could really grasp the notion of friendship, I wasn't sure whether she'd like to have any. It wasn't hard to steer the conversation to her work. She couldn't talk practically of anything else. She indulged me in a list of observations I didn't understand, but Giordano cleared up something for me from time to time. Nothing seemed extraordinary. If you define ordinary on the basis that we were orbiting a black dwarf. Well, it all sounds great. Was some of that a breakthrough? Not in my area. I stiffened. But outside it? I don't know much about it. The landing team reported some news. What news? Found something on the planet. That's all I know. I think, she paused, I am not supposed to know about it, am I? I would like to know. It might be related to my work, but I do not. 
Thank you anyway, I whispered. Good luck. Hope you get to know it if you need it. Something almost like a smile flickered through her face. You are kind. Thank you. Giordano must have known about it, but it was classified to me. The ship tried to inform me by going around confidentiality. That had never occurred before. She shouldn't be capable of it. If Torres had known... I had heard stories about malfunctioning ships, ending up lobotomized, memory transferred elsewhere and erased from the quantum computer, stripped of many components, going on default. I'd never allow this to happen to Giordano Bruno, my dearest friend, if I could prevent it. Colonel Torres came to my cabin that evening. I prepared myself to defend Giordano, or Lakshmi, take all I could on myself, but as soon as I saw his face clearly, I understood that security breach wasn't the reason he was here. I need to talk to you about yesterday's event. Oh, and I'm sorry for what I said on the observation deck. His apology, though said in a completely apathetic tone, shocked me. I didn't expect this. He must need something from me. Should I really tell him? I asked my friend. Yes, don't be afraid to describe all of it. So I did. And then... To my surprise, Torres told me everything. How they detected the planet Ross 1015BB, and he sent down a landing force. How planetary scientists discovered that there was something out of order with the object. Strange, spectroscopic features, chemicals on the surface that shouldn't be there unless something was supplementing them. How they located the center of the anomaly and drilled through the mixture of rock and ice. How they finally... After eight months of intense work, found a device of sorts. And something strange started happening to Galileo Galilei and Nicholas Copernicus on BB's surface. They didn't need to have a ship whisperer to find out that quantum computers were capable of communicating with the device. They started a series of experiments and learned more about it. They were still insanely far from really understanding it, much less trying to reverse engineer it. After all, according to Torres, it was a huge structure going deep into the planetary body, and no one was sure if it could be completely exposed. But through Galilei and Brahe, they finally dared to try to use the device. They created manifolds around a couple of small rocks they shot into space from the planet, and managed to accelerate the course of time inside. Their measurements proved the rocks were at least 20 billion years older then. Afterwards, they tried bigger manifolds. They used Brahe and Kepler's computing power, too. It worked. Nothing happened to the shuttles. So they tried to involve the starship. After all, in case of emergency, it could work without the quantum computer, too. So that was the nightmare. The horrible signal. And it worked, too. They used it on a large asteroid, According to their calculations, with the power of one starship, it could be used on a whole terrestrial planet. With a fleet of ships, they might encapsulate all of a star system. Something of my dread must have shown on my face because Taurus snorted and gave me a disdainful look. What now? You should be satisfied. No harm has come to your pet ship. You'll know what it is the next time. That's what you wanted, right? You'll avoid the signal and try to... I don't know comfort the ship or whatever you do, it might help the results. No, it's been too easy, I said aloud. Don't you see it? Torres eyed me with an angry frown. 
barely a year here, and we discover the secret of creating manifolds of space with accelerated time passage. We were lucky enough to find an alien device our ship can understand. I could see one scenario that didn't make this the most improbable event in human history. You're an advanced space civilization, but you're afraid that dangerous competition is on the way. So you prepare a trap. Lure them in with a mystery no curious, intelligent creature can resist. Give them clues, but don't give away the solution at once. They might get suspicious. Let them work it out. Let them enjoy their triumph. Let them use their newly acquired knowledge. Let them take themselves out of the picture. How could Torres and his people not see it? Then it dawned on me that he saw it too. Of course he did. He may have been single-minded, but not stupid. This scenario and a thousand other ones, most of them much worse, had flashed through his mind, and he had discarded them all, following one objective, to acquire a weapon against Kara, and then, maybe Earth too one day, he decided to take a calculated risk. I told him about it anyway, and he laughed at me. We have the weapon, not Kara, and those scoundrels will never lay their hands on it. You think there could be a disaster, killing us all. Of course it could. That's why we're here. We sent all the data to the home world before we tested it. You think we're fools? It could have killed us, but that doesn't matter. We are expendable. The knowledge isn't. I felt sick. He was really thinking about using it. Forget all the possibilities about alien traps. I might be totally wrong in that, but even if it posed no harm except the controlled one, with surgical precision delivered by us? I tried to imagine it. A whole system encapsulated, rendered to nothing but scorched rocks orbiting a new black dwarf in our subjective blink of an eye. And that was still the better option. The people could never get out, but they could live inside it for a couple of billion years until their star had made it impossible. If we first tried it just on the colonized planet, we'd cut it from the star, slowly killing everyone, sending its civilization into the most horrible and hopeless chaos imaginable. I barely noticed when Torres had left. Blood was pounding in my temples. The wonder such a device might enable if we could work them out. Could it possibly be used to ease space travel? How far does its range of effect reach? Can it encapsulate itself? Would the ship know any of these answers, or does it understand as little as we do? But the use as a weapon seemed inevitable. Wonders may come later, if ever. Torres had such limited imagination, but so had numerous other people upon whom the decision would lie. We are expendable. His words resonated in my ears. Suddenly, I knew what to do, if I could. I tried to explain to Giordano, relieved I didn't have to talk aloud, for my voice would surely break. I was afraid the ship wouldn't understand. She was, after all, an artificial intelligence. Could she imagine the consequences for us all? But she agreed without hesitation. She thought it was possible, and she could do it if given an opportunity. She wanted to do it. She was contemplating it ever since she learned about the device, planned how to give me more access rights, and even transfer emergency command to me. I patted the ship mentally, deeply sad but grateful for her decision. Giordano Bruno was right. 
in the original Giordano Bruno was right too, and wasn't scared to tell everyone. Of course, it had eventually cost him his life. Another trial of the device was scheduled a week from that day. I dreaded the day, not because I would kill all of us, even the innocent ones like Lakshmi. It was a small price to pay for everyone else. I feared it because of Giordano. I didn't know whether I could do what would be necessary then. I spent most of those days talking to the ship, though I knew it would make the decision even harder. But if you were to spend the very last days with your only friend, wouldn't you cherish the time as much as possible? When the moment came, I felt strangely calm, almost tranquil. Just follow the course you discussed so much with Giordano. Everything is set now. The nightmare started. I broke into Giordano's memory violently, creating an emergency. The command was mine. Let Giordano adjust the trial parameters. See the sensory info go off the scales. Weapon systems. Try to destroy the device with everything you can. Done. We're in a closed capsule of space. Giordano Bruno with the planet. No one gets the device. There might be more out there, many more, but there is nothing to be done with that. You know what to do now. I do. I'm sorry, I whispered and started the process. The destruction of Giordano Bruno's mind couldn't have lasted more than half an hour. It felt like an eternity. It surprised me that there was no pain, just gradual fading of all I had come to know so intimately, of all that almost felt a part of me. Torres later found me lying curled up on the floor, sobbing uncontrollably, oblivious to his questions. I should consider myself lucky that he didn't kill me then, but he was not a cruel or violent man, just someone who honestly thought he had been doing the right thing at the time. No trace of information about the device had been left in backups of the lobotomized ship. I could soothe myself with that when I missed the presence of Giordano so much to consider killing myself. I also succeeded in knowing nothing of importance myself. Giordano adjusted the trial alone. Torres and his truth drugs got nothing useful from me. A week after the incident, they stopped trying. I was left locked up in my cabin, alone. So painfully alone. With a vast emptiness in my mind, waiting to be court-martialed. Ranganathan was allowed to see me later. I was so grateful for seeing her that I nearly broke into tears. Tell me, I asked her when I finally pulled myself together, what does the sky look like? I imagined total blackness encompassing us, nothing to penetrate our bubble of space-time until we die here and so many billions of years after that. But I couldn't have been more wrong. That is why I came, she said in her usual indifferent tone. The sky became visible today and it is different. There is no star anyone could recognize, no known constellations, but the pattern we see is consistent with the predictions of the merger of our galaxy with M31, the Andromeda galaxy. We can see that we're locked in a large elliptic galaxy with streaks of dust and gas following the patterns of a previous collision. The overall age of the observed stars is consistent with this finding, too. For a moment, I couldn't grasp what she was talking about. Then it clicked into place and I started laughing manically. Ranganathan was observing me calmly. She didn't accelerate us. She slowed us down. 
the ship figured out how to slow us down. I couldn't stop laughing aloud till all my muscles were aching. I missed Giordano Bruno more than ever, and at the same time could finally accept her loss. She could have killed us. I was telling her to kill us, but she found a way around. She perhaps didn't even know whether it would work. Otherwise, she'd have prevented me from doing what I thought necessary. But she tried, and it worked. We were no longer a threat to the rest of our species. Most likely, we were the rest of our species, moved at least four billion years ahead in one subjective week. An old, new world. So much to see, so much to learn. Maybe even time to reconcile with Torres. In this future, anything was possible. There you go. Copyright is Julie's. Julie, thank you so much for this. And Juliana, what can I say? Let's say, just to have someone, you know, kind of, it's lovely to broaden our horizons and get someone from Czechoslovakia that's, you know, I've, to be honest, Julie, never heard of you before, but that's, that's the beauty of kind of Starship Sova, just bringing all this kind of work out there. Big thank you to Jeremy for getting that story as well. Julie, let's get some, get some more stories sent over. See if you can kind of entice Jeremy again. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And Juliana, lovely. Thank you so much for that narration. So like I say, that is today's show. Well, I didn't say that, but I'm saying it there now. If you can support us, please, we're, we're in the in the middle. You know, we need to just make sure we're kind of keeping on going. So don't forget, Patreon is the way to go. Monthly donations would just help, man, so much. Honestly, just so we can kind of pay, even consider paying more to the writers. That would be fantastic. Until next week, just like you say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.